as we've gone to all digital is that frankly, um, the audience has grown, the money has grown, and the workload has grown. The, the workload that, that, that everybody who has my job or the beat writers is way, way bigger than it was uh, 10 or 15 years ago. I think one of the great things that LeBron has is awareness and perspective. I mean, obviously he's six foot eight with his incredible physical stature, but his awareness and uh, perspective is um, two of his greatest traits. And just because of the fact that I was around for long enough and I could put things in perspective that he was ex experiencing and because I knew him so well, I, I was aware, I could kind of read what he, what he was reading. So I was just extraordinarily fortunate to get to know him. And as it worked out, you know, he was a rookie um, when I was a rookie on the beat. When he moved to Miami, I got hired by ESPN and I moved to Miami. Neither of us had been away from home, so to speak. What I'd like to do is somebody who really, really cares about the NBA or their team, or their fantasy team. Uh, when they come into my little zone, I can give them the escape from that void. Whether it's entertainment, whether it's to make them feel smarter, whether it's to make them be able to have a better conversation with their friends. Brian Windhorst covers the NBA and USA basketball for ESPN and has since 2010. He's with us this time around on Watch the Media. Well, Brian, thank you very much for your time. Um, one of the busiest guys, I think, in media, um, podcasting and television and writing and and uh, keeping track of what's going on in the NBA. So we appreciate your time very much. No problem. Uh, it's uh, you're catching me the day after the trade deadline. So it's actually um, allegedly a, a calm day. We'll see if it plays out that way. It's more like uh, I try not to do anything, but then all these people call me to have a debrief and I have the same conversation eight times over. That'll probably be what happens. So uh, again, thanks, thanks for the time, especially in that consideration. So give us a little bit of an idea of, um, of what it is. If you were going to describe to the world what you do, uh, would you do that for us, please? Well, briefly, I cover the NBA for a multi-platform media company, which um, means that uh, you know, the NBA is the 365-day uh, a year uh, job. Uh, although certainly in the in the normal years you have some down months, um, but uh, especially in the modern day and age, the, the transaction game is uh, very highly uh, in, interesting to the fans, and the transaction game happens largely in the off season, so there is no off season, so to speak. And um, I also uh, cover uh, the um, Team USA, the uh, Olympic team, the national team. And so that means that uh, every other summer, uh, give or take, I have a large chunk of responsibility for that. So it's a, so it's a year-round job. Um, and you know, at ESPN, we have uh, obviously our television network, which has you know 24-hour programming, a majority of it live, um, and we have the rights to the NBA. So we have robust shoulder programming around the NBA, you know, setups, pregame, postgame, etc. 
And uh, then, you know, we have ESPN.com, which is the number one sports site in the world has been for a decade or so. And so, um, you know, we produce features, news stories. News stories are a big driver, news reaction, news analysis. Um, we have a very robust uh, radio network uh, with over 100 affiliates. And then we have um, uh, the podcast network. And I, uh, on an average day, you know, certainly yesterday, the trade deadline, I was involved in all four. But on an average day, I'm providing for two or three platforms. And, um, you know, I do like the variety of it. Um, you know, there's the thing about ESPN is that, you know, everybody uh, works on their own thing. Uh, there's people who are producing long term, you know, just just to give you an example of this week. And I mean, maybe this week isn't 100 percent representative, but this week. I was working on a feature story that is long-term that will come out in the next three to four weeks. I was working on that. Um, I was working on a, a, a feature for SportsCenter, which uh, is five and a half minutes long, which is long for SportsCenter, which I've been working on for two weeks, which um, I'm working with a set of producers and a set of editors over the top of them um, doing interviews separately from that. Um, that'll run this Saturday, you know, I guess the timing doesn't matter here, but it'll run on Saturday. So we were in edit and I was you know, looking at, you know, doing voiceover work for it um, and then revoicing different things and then doing the writing of the script during this week, doing the interviews last week uh, over Zoom at the time right now. Um, doing regular sports center hits, news uh, uh, sports center hits. Um, and Sports Center, so first Sports Center is, is at 7 a.m. Uh, local, and our last Sports Center is at midnight local. So um, there's different sets of producers for all of those shows. Um, there's, a, there's a support, there's a set of producers that works from 7 to 10 a.m., a set of producers from 10 to noon, um, a set of producers from uh, 6 to 7, uh, a set of producers from 11 to midnight, and a set of producers from 1 to 2. Um, so it's a different groups of people. So um, some of those people like to have me on, some of them I'm never on the show. Um, also this week I was on uh, First Take, which is our show that runs from 10 a.m. to 12 noon. Different set of producers that you're talking about. I was also on Get Up this week, which runs from 8 a.m. until 10 a.m. in New York City. Again, a different set of producers that you're working on with that. Um, had uh, at least one news story, I can't remember. Uh, and at ESPN.com we have one set of uh, editors who handles live breaking news and we uh, our news desk. And then we have another set of editors who is working as sort of like uh, looking at your long-term stuff and features. Um, and then I host a podcast which publishes twice a week, which has a set of producers and a set of people over that. And um, then, you know, various ESPN radio shows. Um, you know, this individual week, and this was a heavy week. So this individual week, I've been on Mike Greenberg's radio show, Max Kellerman's radio show, our evening radio show, and our noon radio show, our, 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 our national. Um, two weeks ago, I spot filled in leading up to the NBA All-Star Game and did a three-hour preview radio show where I hosted the show. Um, on uh, on ESPN Radio on a Sunday afternoon and evening, um, and so that's really the definition of multi-platform. And then, by the way, like 
I have to have conversations with NBA executives and agents, not so much with players right now. The players are on Zooms and it's not great. I, I did, I do text some players and I did interview them for the sports center feature that I'm doing. Um, but my, during the pandemic, my uh, conversations with players has dropped probably 90% because normally you're out in the, in the arenas and seeing them. Oh, I didn't even mention the jump, which the jump is ESPN's daily NBA show, which um, I typically do six times a month. Um, during the pandemic, that's cut down a little bit, probably four times a month. Uh, I used to go to LA uh, twice a month for four days. Uh, I haven't been to LA in a year now, but that's um, the multi-platform, but it's all based on the conversations that you, I'm having because, you know, my job is to, is to have inside analysis and information. And so, you know, in an average day, not, not during the trade deadline week, that's elevated, but in an average day, I will talk to scouts and executives from three to five teams during the trade deadline week. It's probably 10 to 12 and, um, you know, spend at least two out two to three hours a day reviewing um, box scores, reviewing statistical trends. We have a very robust um, stats and information department at ESPN that provides us incredible statistics that I review those numbers and just doing a lot of reading, reading what my peers are writing um, to, to spot trends and to keep up to date on stuff. Um, reading is probably, reading and conversations with uh, the executives are the two core aspects of the job. Hello, welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing on Monday morning. Joining us from Los Angeles, uh, it's early out there, is Kevin Arnovitz. How's it going, Kevin? Going very well. So we have a special guest. He has not been on this podcast before. And you normally, I do not go outside our collective group. But Kevin, I had to make an exception. Uh, you and I know this guy well. Um, he is... How much do you think this podcast would cost us if we were paying for his time? I, it would be it would Alex. Be a lot what do you money. bill at these days? Yes, that's this is a very good question. It's confidential. Okay, okay. if you have to ask, <laughs> <laughs> this is Alex Spiro, who is one of the top attorneys in the country. I'm not just uh, fluffing. So is this what you imagined your um, professional life would be like when you left Kent State 20 years ago to become a newspaper guy? No, no. I mean, I do like the multi-platform nature of it, but uh, I would say I was never happier than in my beat writing newspaper days um, where you you know, I mean, I, I the internet was always there in my career, but where you didn't have to file, you know, three or four or five times a day. Um, I have really good memories. And maybe in 10 or 15 years, I'll say, well, I remember the, you know, the, the pandemic. That was great. I was at home. I'll say that was my, my fondest memories. But um, I have very fond memories of the early to mid 2000s when you you read the internet at nine in the morning and all the stories were Put together and you read them and then that was it nobody updated their stories during the day that was it and you went about your day and um, if you were at lunch and there was a, a trade or some sort of piece of news you'd say oh, okay thanks for the information and then you'd finish your lunch and leisurely go back to your computer later on um, and uh, 
and just covering one team and being 100% immersed in that one team. Um, I really enjoyed that, but, um, and I loved, I, you know, I, I loved reading the newspaper. Um, you know, I, I loved, you know, I, I've, I've traveled a lot, you know, for most of my career. Um, but I loved the going to, you know, um, covering a game on a Tuesday night and then, you know, getting up in the morning and then flying to the next city and getting the newspaper and reading it on the plane. Um, I loved that, but um, that was not reality. Um, uh, that was not where I was going. It was not where it was, where it was headed. And, and, you know, what's happened in the, as we've gone to all digital is that frankly, um, the audience has grown, the money has grown and the workload has grown. The workload that, that, that everybody who has my job or the beat writers is way, way bigger than it was uh, 10 or 15 years ago. And, um, uh, but there's rewards to that as well. So when you were working in Akron, you met a young guy named LeBron James and, um, and developed a, a very good relationship with LeBron James. And you've turned that into um, a, a number of books, uh, wrote some books with Terry Pluto and, and you've done that. So how do you feel when folks say, hey, he's the guy who, um, who did LeBron James stuff w way back when? How do you feel when people sort of characterize you in that way? Yeah, it was, it was just an incredible bit of fortune that I was able to um, to meet him when he was 14. And and the irony was I was still in college at the time as a part timer. And uh, he, he went to the reason I knew who he was is because he went to my high school. And so I was aware of him. And so um, I actually had to fight for coverage of him and his team early on. I mean, that's one of the funny things is uh, I mean, it's it's so long ago that it's laughable now, but. Um, I did have to like, you know, try to talk my bosses into letting me or even us as a, as a newspaper cover them more because they, even though I'd known them very well, they seemed to think I was trying to push for coverage of my alma mater. Um, but, uh, and I was just very fortunate that when he went to the Cavaliers that the, the job to cover the team was open and they really didn't want to give it to me. Um, I was sort of going week to week as much as you can on a beat that requires so much travel. I was basically, I mean, they were interviewing people while I was doing the job. I was 25 years old at that point, but um, it was difficult for me at the time. Although, you know, in their shoes, I totally understand it. It was a pretty biggest responsibility to hand to somebody so young, but it was difficult at the time. So I was just extraordinarily fortunate to get to know him. And as it worked out, you know, he was a rookie um, when I was a rookie on the beat when he moved to Miami, I got hired by ESPN and I moved to Miami. Neither of us had been away from home, so to speak, because, you know, I had lived in Akron or Cleveland my whole life. He had lived in Akron or Cleveland his whole life. So, um, you know, so even though we were very different in terms of our experiences and our bank accounts, uh, we were having some of the same experiences. So, um, and I think, um, although I've moved away from covering him day to day over the last seven or eight years, um, I think one of the things that uh, built the relationship was the perspective. I think one of the great things that LeBron has is awareness and perspective. I mean, obviously he's six foot eight with an incredible physical stature, but his awareness and uh, perspective is um, two of his greatest traits. And just because of the fact that I was around for long enough and I could put things in perspective that he was experiencing, 
experiencing and because I knew him so well, I, I was aware I could kind of read what he, what he was reading. It was it enabled me to sort of have conversations and see things on a different level, especially as he started moving around. Because he, when he went to Miami, I was the only guy who'd ever covered him before. And there's a lot of people who didn't know him and didn't understand him in a different level of scrutiny. And, you know, I had this, uh, this infrastructure with him. And then even when he went back to Cleveland, so much had changed in Cleveland in those four years that um, the, the, it was kind of almost in some ways not the same. And yet here I was, I had the infrastructure with him. So um, I think that was extremely fortunate and extremely helpful. Um, I would argue that I put in an incredible amount of work while I was I was fortunate to be there. Um, I would argue nothing was gifted. Other people might disagree, but um, uh, but it's been uh, it's been tr a tremendous experience and opened up a lot of doors for me. Brian Windhorst covers the NBA and USA basketball for ESPN. This is Watch the Media. I'm John Schrader. So what's the lesson for um, young journalists or maybe even old journalists? Um, you have such a good relationship with them, but you still have to be an independent observer of what goes on. You're still chronicling um, the best version of the truth uh, every day as a journalist. So what's the lesson here that uh, we can learn from this relationship you've had with somebody since he was a teenager and still get the straight, uh, the straight stuff? Yeah, I'm not sure he applies to a to a universal lesson because he has changed so much. So one of the things he's done in the last six or seven years is he's developed his own media company, um, which more athletes are doing now. More high level athletes are doing, but uh, you know he came to a realization, and he's not wrong about it. But he came to a realization that every time he opened his mouth, there were dollar bills flying out because everything that he said had value. And even when it came time to like using social media, which he actually controlled without a filter, the company that he was providing the information, you know, the content on was benefiting more than him. So he really downshifted into closely holding his media to his, his own company. And um, really these days, the only time he does I mean, he does he does group media with um, with uh, you know his his NBA responsibilities on a day to day basis, but that is, you know, I mean, certainly there's a value in listening to what he says and evaluating it and interpreting it differently, but there's not, it doesn't take a special set of skills to repeat to repeat what he said and put in your story. Um, the access to him is now he saves it all for his company or when he does do outside interviews, it's so controlled and so selected. Uh, in fact, he specifically, when I say he, I mean, he has a media operation. He specifically targets typically people he doesn't have relationships with, or if he does have relationships with them, has an understanding that there's the interview is going to be handled a certain way. Um, and so recently, and I don't know when your students will view this, but recently, for example, he had a, um, a major profile done in Fast Company, a, a magazine that um, does focuses on business. And the writer never had ever interviewed him before. And you know what happens in those situations is, without that depth, the writer is not going to be able to, you know, it, most of the time, not going to be able to write uh, too in depth story because they don't have that perspective. So 
I made the decision years ago that I was just going to do it straight. I was not going to um, try to seek access. Uh, and as a result, my access to him uh, has decreased dramatically. And it just so happens my role evolved um, in certain ways as well. Um, but um, I, my belief is play it straight. Um, there are people out there who make millions of dollars, you know, um, and are very successful uh, and are really good journalists who do it by creating relationships and get interviews that um, are based on those relationships. I will never be that person. That's never going to be who I am. It doesn't mean that somebody won't be, but I would rather <coughs> do it straight and, um, you know, be free of uh, worrying about access. Um, and uh, basically my name on top being the, um, the, the draw. It's never gonna draw as much as a one-on-one -on -one set that interview with LeBron will. Uh, I understand that, you know, a story that I write will not draw as much, but I've decided for the long haul, that's, that's the way I'm gonna go. And one of the things I think is interesting is um, years ago, I, um, the teams that I have covered and the and LeBron apparatus really stopped trying to spin me. They used to call and you know try to spin me, uh, whatever, and they stopped. And um, I saw that as a badge of honor. Uh, doesn't mean I'm always right, but uh, I I feel more comfortable in that lane. Um, but to each his own. Like there I said, there are people who've gone different ways who have been who have been equally successful. So it's basically um, a, a wonderful, awesome chapter in your life, and and now other things are going on. Um, we all know that um, that ESPN is. Uh, I, I I refer to it sometimes in my classes as the eight hundred pound gorilla. It is the biggest media sports media vehicle in the world, right? So what does that do to help you get in the door uh, of some places that you might have difficulty getting into? Well, sure. Like, I definitely think that um, when you, in certain forums, having ESPN across your chest um, will open doors that they won't open. But there's a couple of things about it. First off, uh, I always see ESPN as kind of like a big giant oak tree. There's branches over here and, you know, there's the main trunk, I guess, but then there's branches and then there's, you know, limbs and branches and twigs and leaves. And you know, there's all these different networks and all, I mentioned the platforms earlier, but even within the platforms, there's many different layers. You know, like I said, just in the NBA world, we have Sports Center, which operates as an operation. We have the, the Jump, which is that daily television show that has its own operation. We have Countdown, which um, is the show that comes on right before, that's an hour long show that comes on right before the games, has its own operation. And so sometimes we're all pursuing different stories or the same story. And so as a result, you live in this world where somebody is, so like, yes, yeah, so yes, you when you send somebody a text message or send them an email or call and say from ESPN, you may be more likely to get a call back, but you also live in a world where something was on outside the lines that pissed the player off three years ago. And so when he hears anybody from ESPN today, he thinks that that limb way over on that side of the tree and this root down at the ground are two, the two same things. And so it's, um, 
you know, it has its positives and negatives. Because you said 800 pound gorilla, people don't evaluate it pound by pound, they, they evaluate the whole thing, you know. Um, and so the other thing is, is that, and this is what I tell people who get hired at ESPN, if any of your students were ever to get hired and they would call me and ask me for advice, this is what I'd say. People who think that getting to ESPN means that they've arrived, typically do not succeed. The difficult and challenging thing at ESPN is learning how to thrive and survive within the company itself. Because as I mentioned to you earlier, there's all these different avenues and all these different veins and you have to learn to work together as a team. That said, the resources are incredible, especially if you ever saw what, he, what the operation looks like in a Monday night football game and you saw what ESPN deploys, it's wild. If you, if you came to the NBA finals and saw what ESPN operates on something of that level, the, the, the stages that, or the ESPYs, it'll blow you away. Uh, so, th so there's really no excuse because you know the resources that you have <coughs> are unparalleled, um, but the challenges and the expectations are, are there as well. Is there anything at all like a sleeper move that is on that is on anyone's radar for Danny Ainge and the Celtics? So here's the thing with the Celtics. The reality is, I don't know if their ownership is gung ho on going into the tax this season uh, to, to, with this team, with this Eastern Conference, where they're looking at Philly and they're looking at Brooklyn. Because, you know, even though it's a big market, the Celtics have been careful about spending. So with all that attention and with all the stuff you do, how do you stay humble? Well, it's my nature. Um, you know, uh, I'm a... I'm very much of a grinder anyway. It comes from my newspaper beat writer background. You know, um, you got your pregame notebook done. Okay, what about your game story? Okay, your game story is done. What about your postgame blog? Um, all right, you just did this game. Guess what? Tomorrow you got to fly to Philadelphia. You did the game in Philadelphia. Guess what? Now you're flying to Charlotte. Um, and so to me, um, I'm always just focused on what the next thing is. Um, you know, and... Uh, you know, a, a, I'll just, just, this is just in the last 24 hours, a classic thing, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski, who's um, our NBA newsbreaker, who's one of the best reporters um, in the business, one of the best, you know, he doesn't report on, um, uh, you know, arms dealing in the Middle East. I mean, it's, I mean, he, even he would tell you that he understands that he's, you know, he's not curing cancer. He's talking about, you know, basketball transactions, but you know, his is a job, his is a job that exists 365 days a year. And yes, the trade deadline or free agency or the draft are days where his, his work product is extraordinarily high profile. But, you know, yesterday we were about to go on TV after the NBA trade, de trade deadline ended. And one of the producers, this was not on air, this was off air while we were getting ready to go. And one of the producers said, oh, um, Woj, I guess it'll be a big steak dinner for you tonight. And he's like, you know, it doesn't work like that. I'll, I'm going to have a turkey sandwich, and um, and that's that's true because like, um, yeah, there are big. There are some days that are bigger than others, but in this particular job, like, you are the work you put in on a day-to-day -day basis, and so um, I really can't worry 
I mean, would I love to have some individual piece of work that made, you know, enough money that I didn't have to worry going forward about anything like that? I mean, so I'd say about anybody about a paycheck, you got your paycheck, congratulations. But my guess is you need the next one. So you got to keep working. Um, so that's just always the way uh, I viewed it. And also, no matter what kind of attention you get in life or no matter where you are, whether it's the internal clock or whether it's your competition, um, somebody has to keep driving you to continue doing really good work. Because if you slow down, if you lose that pace, if you lose that, that energy, then your work doesn't maintain its high level quality, does it? Yeah, I mean, at some point we all get thrown out. I mean, that's what happens at ESPN. Typically you get the competition level there and the expectation level there is at a point where just about everybody gets thrown out on their backside at some point. Whether The only question about whether it's tomorrow or, or in 20 years. We all hope it's in 20 years, um, but it could be tomorrow. Uh, but many colleagues and friends who were just shown the door. Um, and so you live in that reality, knowing that in you know in some day you'll you'll be you know back over there. So um, it's not. It's, I, I don't say that with any um, uh, cynicism. It's just it's just it's just the truth and it's just reality. So um, that's long been the way I've approached it. So um, you could do this job anywhere at this point, um, and you could be anywhere. Um, why did you, or how did you end up in, in Omaha? I think maybe some people would be surprised that uh, one of the leading NBA uh, reporters in the country and the world uh, lives right here in the middle of the country. Why? Well, um, uh, primarily quality of life and cost of living. Um, you know, I previously lived in New York City and uh, my wife and I wanted to have a family and we do, we have a son. My wife is from Omaha, that's how I discovered it. Uh, I mean, if you told me when I was in college, I would be living in Omaha in my 40s, I'd have told you you were crazy. But I also would have told you I never would have lived in New York City for a while. I never would have lived in a high rise building in Miami for a while. I, I never would have believed that. And maybe I won't be here forever. Maybe I'll be somewhere else and I won't believe that either. Um, but uh, I to have a family and to have a quality life. The other thing is the center of the NBA is always changing. So for years, um, the center of the NBA, or at least a big part of the NBA, was in Cleveland. And uh, if you were a big, if you were in the NBA, you spent dozens of days a year or weeks on end in Cleveland. I mean, there was a five-year span where I spent probably twenty to thirty days a year in San Francisco because uh, the Warriors were in the finals five straight years and they played a lot of games. Well, today they're not. I haven't been to San Francisco in two years. I don't know when I'll go back. Um, you know, there were. You know, I used to live in Miami. And then after I moved from Miami, I still was going there dozens of days a year. I haven't been to Miami in four years. So when that's the reality of the shifting nature of things, then it kind of made sense to pick a place where you could put down roots and say, this is where I want to be and I'll pivot from here. And the other thing is that the, the technology enables you to work from anywhere. So in addition to the fact that you have a laptop and a phone and an internet connection, you can, you can operate from wherever. Um, uh, you know, I have a studio inside my house and the studio when we first set it up was rather primitive. I mean, to be honest with you, um, when I first moved to Omaha, um, I would come down to, to Lincoln whenever I had to go on television. Um, there's this really good television set up on the second or third floor of Memorial Stadium, uh, Husker Vision, I think it's called. Um, this really awesome guy, um, uh, what was his name? Shot Clean. 
shot. There you go. Shot, shot. clean. Uh, anyway, uh, how you forget a name like shot clean. Um, but uh, it was $5,000 for me to go down there every time I went. So, you know, I'd go down there four times a month and it was $20,000 to build the studio, to build my first studio in my house cost 10,000. Um, and back then, and this was like 2015. So two, two days of not going to Lincoln saved, you know, paid for itself. Uh, and when we first started, I used an iPhone. It was an iPhone that was on a tripod and I had this big giant screen print, like it was like a shade. You hung it on the wall and you pulled it down like a shade and it cost $2,000. It probably cost ESPN $200 to ship it. <clears throat> and I did have some nice lights in my ceiling. Um, I couldn't see the show that I was on. I was totally blind. I could only see the iPhone and they would frame me. They would say, move left, move right, phone up, phone down. <clears throat> We've now developed to the point where uh, I have a screen, uh, a giant television screen behind me. I don't know, it's like 100 inches. And we can manipulate what's on that screen. We can even have moving images on that screen. Um, now I have a camera set up that has a special lens on it that widens the field and gives a better circumstance. I have super high-speed internet so that um, uh, you know the connection is, is true, is truer and more reliable. When we first started this, I had a three-second delay. So whenever I'd be on SportsCenter, he would say, well, is the guy with this, with the... Um, with the spring nickel going to play tonight? And I would be like this. No, he's out. That'd be this ridiculously long delay. Uh, now we're down to a half second delay. Um, now I have a screen that sets up where I can see the show that's going on. We call it return in the business. I can actually see the show. So I can see what's going on. So if I'm talking over a highlight or on SportsCenter, Sometimes I talk about three things in a row, the three or three different packages together. I can, I don't have to worry about them talking to me and then being delayed. I can actually see it in real time. Um, uh, I built in a walk-in closet where I'm in right now, um, a, a podcast studio with, uh, you know, studio quality lighting or studio quality, um, you know, soundproofing. And, uh, you know, a good microphone, which I don't, I don't have, it's not on screen right now, but I have. And I have my office down here and I have these little suite of rooms and I work out of these suite of rooms. My wife calls it my compound. And there are, day, there are some days when I'm in these three rooms and I'm nonstop from 7 a.m. until 7 p.m. And so that technology enables me to work out of here, work out of anywhere. In theory, I can work out of anywhere. So all it was sort of all that stuff coming together that made Omaha possible. And I'm very, very happy living here. So that's a, another factor. I don't want to go anywhere. Brian Windhorst has worked at ESPN since 2010. He's with us this time around on Watch the Media. Kevin, do you think if the Miami Heat got Kyle Lowry, which we'll talk about in a minute, or the Boston Celtics got Aaron Gordon, let's just not even talk about what they gave away. Do you think the acquisition of those two players materially changes the race for the Eastern Conference? Um, unlikely. And that might be more of a statement on Brooklyn. And, and look, I, I'm going to die on the Milwaukee Hill. As we wrap it up here, um, how has your uh, view, if if at all, of sports and what it means to you and what it means to the broader culture uh, changed um, in the last year? 
well, this is going to get into a philosophical answer from me. Um, we in our lives need diversion and we need to have things that frankly can take our mind off of uh, troubles. Um, if you wouldn't want to take it way out, you know, it's about filling the void. <laughs> um, you know, we all have the void of our lives. Different parts of it are filled with different things. Um, some of it pleasant, some of it unpleasant. Sports is a filling of the void that a lot of people enjoy. And, um, you know, I know that there are certain things in my life when I want to have recreational time that I like to consume um, in terms of media. And I like to only focus on that to sort of detach. And so my goal is to, is to be that. Um, not everybody feels that sports are that way, especially in this day and age, but I do. And so um, what I'd like to do is somebody who really, really cares about the NBA or their team or their fantasy team, uh, when they come into my little zone, I can give them the escape from that void, whether it's entertainment, whether it's to make them feel smarter, whether it's to make them be able to have a better conversation with their friends, um, with other, to, to make them know what their team is going to do or understand what, the, what their team did or just to relax and unplug for a while. That's my void. Um, I am a big believer in delivering in that zone. I do not, I am not somebody who wants to have my own cooking show or um, talk about fly fishing. My lane is to talk and give uh, uh, information, uh, tips and all this stuff uh, and analysis about the NBA. And I believe in staying in that lane. There are other people in my profession who don't feel that way at all. They do 15 other things and that's fine. And they, some of them are very successful with it. My goal is to, to, to deliver that lane and, and, and stay in that lane. And, um, and so, you know, I, um, I want people who, who, because really we're at a point right now where your equity, especially in somebody on a national level, but even, even a local B writer, you know, it's really about, you know, what they expect from the name at the top of that story, or they're clicking on a podcast, the name that they have on that. And so my goal is that they can expect a certain thing from me and I'm going to deliver that. And when I do go outside my lane, it'll be on my own time. Um, and uh, that's what I'm describing here is not a popular thing in certain circles. Some people believe that people with platforms should use that platform to talk about things other than what's in that lane. And that's just not what I believe in. And so uh, maybe I'll be right on that. Maybe I'll be wrong, but that's how I see my career going forward. And that's what I've, that's what I've continued to focus on um, in what's been a pretty wild couple of years here for various reasons. Yeah. You seem like a pretty happy guy. Can you imagine doing anything else right now? You know, if I, if I told, if I, if they told me you're completely done get out on your, on your butt, you're, you're, you're out of the business. Um, you know, I, I would, you know, I have an interest in aviation, but, uh, but I was fortunate enough to know what I wanted to do early on. And by the way, I would say that, and I know that this, if I could say two things that I've learned, I'm 43 years old, but I'd say two things I've learned out of my 43 years. And I started in the business when I was 16 
as a part-timer at the Akron Beacon Journal. So as sad as this is to say, as somebody who's feeling their age, I can honestly talk about 27 years in the business, although some of those years I was getting people food and answering phones. Number one, and this is especially true at ESPN, you have to learn to take a loss. Because sometimes you just, you get beat. Sometimes you get beat on a story. Sometimes there's an assignment you want, you don't get it. Sometimes there's a job that you want that you don't get. At ESPN, we all want different roles on all these different platforms and shows, and sometimes you don't get them. And to be honest with you, one of the people that taught me about that was LeBron, because, you know, he'd be in, for example, Salt Lake City on a Saturday in January. They always went to Salt Lake City in January. LeBron has had his head beat in in Salt Lake City like 20 times in his career. And it would always be on this West Coast trip. The Cavs and the Heat both always went on 15-day West Coast trips, 12-day West Coast trips in January. Happened every year. Both of them. It just so happened um, that their arenas, I think one of them was for Disney on Ice and the other was for something else, or their circus. Their arenas were used every year on those dates. And so out West you went. And it would be the second night of a back-to-back in Salt Lake City, in the altitude on like game, it never failed. It was always like game five of a six game trip, game six of a seven game trip. And you, he went in there and the jazz fans were on top of you and they were chanting and it was just that he was tired. And it was a bad night and the jazz would win by 20 or they'd win at the buzzer. He got beat at the buzzer a couple of times there. And post game, he'd come in and all these media would crowd around him and LeBron, aren't, the Jazz dominate you. You you know, your team just isn't good in here. How come you stink in Salt Lake City? Uh, could the Jazz beat you at the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. And he would just sit there and, be, and take it and realize, you know, the season's 82 games long and longer in the playoffs. And tonight I lost. And he would get up and he would put on his suit, put on his coat, put on his hat, and walk out to the plane. And we'll get you tomorrow. Or... We'll get you later. And you know what? At the end of the season, LeBron's a lot of times held the gold trophy. Sometimes he's held the silver one. Never seen Salt Lake City there. So learn to take the L. And that's one of the things that I would say from being 22 to being 42, one of the big things I had to learn is that sometimes you got to take an L and you move on. Sometimes you lose your job. Sometimes you lose the assignment. It doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Put your coat on, put your hat on move on to the next city. That's what LeBron does. That's what I learned to do. Second thing I would say is that um, I am in a world where I am completely surrounded by millionaires and in some cases, billionaires. I talk to multiple millionaires every single day. I talk to billionaires every week. They live in a complete world of excess. They drive $300,000 cars. They wear $100,000 necklaces. They have four homes. They fly on private jets. And I'm gonna tell you, the majority of them are not happy. They're not happy. And so, I mean, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA has even talked about this. He worries about how unhappy so many NBA players are. Uh, I mean, they literally live in a world where their meals are cooked for them by gourmet chef. Now this isn't really the pandemic world. I'm speaking more in the normal time, but their meals are cooked for them by gourmet chefs. They have women throwing themselves at them, or in some cases, men throwing themselves at them. They live in a world where while they're at practice, the team will sometimes have somebody come and wash their cars 
okay, as a perk. Um, they live in a world where if you live, if they're in a cold weather city, as their plane is flying in from the game overnight, their private plane, somebody will come and start their car and have it all de-iced and everything so that when they arrive, they can walk right off the airplane into their waiting warm car. And they make hundreds, of, some of them make three, $400,000 a game. But even the, even the guys who make the least at the very bottom end get all that stuff and they make five or $600,000 a year. I'm telling you, so many of them are not happy. And so what I would say is that I know that so many people, especially people who are your students who are in their teens and 20s, and probably don't think that the older people know anything anyway because they can't relate to them. Take it from somebody who works in this, who lives in this world of excess and lives in this, in all this stuff. The, the thing that is, that these guys are all striving for is happiness. And so and I know that you've heard since you were a child that money doesn't buy happiness. But I'm here to tell you on the front line that, it, that, it, that it's true. And so when you look for a career, when you look for a setup, and by the way, it doesn't happen immediately. It obviously takes a while to get there. Look for the happiness. Because if you can find a situation where you are generally happy with your lot and your station and your life day to day, you will be ahead of so many people who the perception is has so much more fortune and and uh, possessions and stuff than anybody there's the two two things i can say at age 43 that i couldn't say at age 23 if i'm lucky enough to make it to 63 i may have two other things we'll see well, that is a, a fabulous way to end the conversation. Uh, Brian, thank you very much. Uh, I've really, really enjoyed this. And uh, I've learned some things about the way it works at ESPN that uh, I didn't know. And I'm considerably older than you are. So uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I know you're busy and, and this has been fun. Thanks. All right. Take care. Brian Windhorst covers the NBA and USA basketball for ESPN. This is Watch the Media. I'm John Schrader.